0: Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate and, in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince
1: Rocco. Well, good morning, everybody. It is September 1st and we are back from summer vacation. Good Morning New York is happy to be here today. Uh, We were off for several weeks in August, so for those of you who are tuning in today, welcome back to our first live show in in several weeks. I'm happy back here and with my microphone in my studio. (laughs) It's a great day this morning, although I am a little tired from taking almost a whole month off. We have a whole panel show today with Perul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altshuler, and Deborah Hoffman. So good morning, everybody.
2: Good morning. Good morning. Back, good to morning back,
1: back to school. Good morning, It's back to school. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It feels school. like yeah. back to school. Yeah. Yeah. I actually My school saw a calendar. school bus on West End Avenue and thought, oh, wow, really back to school. Did you to want school? to jump yeah. on yeah. it? I didn't. No. I, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even want to look at it, actually. It was, it was kind of funny. So how was everybody's summer? What what did everybody do this past August? It's been. I feel like I've been gone for months.
3: It feels like it. Deb, what did you do? I've been busy. We we took some weekends away because Mm -hmm. weekends were pretty quiet here, but the rental market was really hopping. Mm -hmm. So I stuck around because when so many people go away, that's my time to stick around. So,
1: so the rental market was hot. I mean, this best It really August? was.
3: In all price points, mm-hmm. there's a lot of new product that came on the market that I saw which knocked my socks off because some of the developers now you know everyone looks for the next best thing and they're putting condo finishes in rental buildings, which yeah. surprised me. Yeah. And, and I'm pleasantly. finding the
2: concessions are actually more prevalent right now. So the no fee apartments, um, I find the renters are now focusing on that. In fact, I just rented something on 28th Street mm-hmm. and it was a fee apartment and the client was signing leases and he saw something else in the building that was a no fee but at a higher number. Mm-hmm. So they were asking 6200 we were asking $5,758. So he, I had to explain to him when you do no fee, an owner can get a higher number. So it, it really is the same difference. It's whether it's out of pocket or whether you're paying it versus the owner paying it.
3: Right. It's like I like to say there's no such thing as a no fee apartment because the fee is built into your. Exactly. So, yes, there's a lot of that now.
1: Yeah, I noticed for myself in my own personal business, I wasn't here, but my partner was certainly running things while I was gone. And we did, Mm -hmm. I don't know, three or four deals while we were gone one rental, two sales, and uh, well, actually, two rentals, two sales. Mm So I'm just wondering how the rest of August was. We'll talk about that a little later when we get into the the panel topics. But um, it seems like it was a good good summer month of August for business transactions in real estate. You know what happens? It's either it's
2: it's sort of a um, uh, people either shut off or they have to get it done by the first. So that's what the summer is. And with managing agents and attorneys gone, it's really hard to get anything done. So that mm-hmm. the frustrating thing in August is really like get it done, but where's the attorney? Where's the managing agent? They're not there.
1: <laughs> they're, they're not exactly. August is the yeah. new Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the very long Christmas. sorry right, let's yeah. get to some news items so that we can chat about some of our real estate topics. Uh, unfortunately, this this story is very sad. Local news station WDBJ seven and the city of Roanoke, Virginia. I get all choked up just thinking about this. Continue to mourn reporter Allison Parker, twenty four, and cameraman. Cameraman Adam Ward 27, who was shot dead by her former colleague during a live morning broadcast last Wednesday. These two journalists were at the start of their careers and had tremendous futures, but in a twist of fate, they are both now gone. The gunman was a fired television reporter with a history of conflicts at work and rage apparently stoked by Rachel grievances racial grievances and when he sought the revenge last wednesday gunning down two former colleagues he used the tools of social media to ensure that his crime was broadcast live recorded from multiple angles and posted online i wanted to mention this story today not because i want to bring light to this madman but uh... many of us whether we are in broadcasting or not feel a tremendous sense of loss with this tragedy and social media is a very strong tool in our lives today but even those tools can go too far We aren't going to debate the issue here today either, but suffice it to say that we have major issues in this country that need to be addressed, and we always need to be mindful that there are very crazy and strange people in this world. I, for one, am getting very tired of the loss of life due to guns being available to anyone and everyone. It's a very sad situation where two people at the start of their broadcasting career have to be gunned down. Again, I get choked up over this because it was very, very sad. Anyway, moving on, prices in Brooklyn have edged closer and closer to Manhattan over the years, and soon its skyline will be catching up as well. A new report from City Realty projects 22,000 new condo and rental units will be built in Brooklyn throughout 2019, including a large number of high-rise towers. The projected totals mark the highest number of units in the development pipeline in the borough's history. On the face of it, the White House with the imposing portico on South Ocean Drive is not very different from most others in Fort Lauderdale's upscale Harbor Beach neighborhood where residents belong to the surf club and private docks are common. But inside the five-bedroom waterfront house that we're talking about, however, pianos, electric guitars, and musical memorabilia hint at the identity of the owner, that owner being singer and actor David Cassidy, who became famous in the 1970s as a cast member of the television sitcom The Partridge Family. Cassidy and his third wife bought the 6,500-square-foot house in 2001 and renovated it but are putting the property and most of its contents up for auction on September 9th as part of their divorce. Cassidy, 65, wow, 65, has voluntarily submitted his assets to Chapter 11 Bankruptcy Court proceedings as a way of settling the couple's affairs. The assessed value of the almost half-acre site at 1600 South Ocean Drive is $1.8 million. Cassidy placed the property on the market about a year ago for $4.5 million, but the asking price was lowered to $3.2 million. Out west, a palatial mansion in the Truesdale Estates, once owned by the comedian Danny Thomas, just went on the market for $135 million. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, $135 million. At eighteen thousand square feet, the house is a sprawling wonderland with eight bedrooms, twelve bathrooms, two and a half million dollars worth of Baccarat chandeliers and custom made carpets, a ballroom, of course, and a garage that can fit twenty cars, twenty cars
3: well it 's as a question to, Due it's, to its
1: elevated position, the house features three hundred and sixty five views of all of Los Angeles and also protects against the peeping eyes of the paparazzi. In addition to his work on television, Danny Thomas is also known for starting the St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which I love. Whoever the new occupant is, he or she has a lot to live up to. Deb, you want to What's say What's interesting
3: being a Los Angeles native is that Truesdale Estates, where this is located, was, and s- well, still is a little bit. It's not the she-she area that people are looking for today, but it was the original secluded, secluded semi-gated community mm. back in the 40s. And the idea when Danny Thomas bought that home that a showbiz person was moving there was a big deal because they just didn't want them, a little bit like co-op boards sometimes, but it's a very exclusive area and usually estates trade in Shrewsdale estates privately. So to have something come on the market like that, this is the 1st time hearing about it, is a
1: big deal, mm. So, all right, moving on, anecdotes and average price data tell the same story. Condo units at the swanky Plaza Hotel greatly underperform compared to the ultra deluxe high-rise units on nearby Billionaires Row here in New York City, for example. Median prices at the hotel were 36 36 per square foot when it was partially converted to condos in 2007 and 8, one of the highest condo price points in the city at that time, but over the last 18 months Median prices there stand at a mere forty three twenty five a foot, an improvement to be sure, but nowhere near the sixty three twenty three per square foot median at nearby 15 Central Park, for example, or fifty three forty per foot uh, at the Time Warner Center. This, according to the New York Daily News, prices at eight nearby buildings have grown by an average of thirty seven percent over the past years, eight years compared to only 19% at the plaza. So one begs the question, what's going on at the plaza? The plaza just didn't turn out to be the great project it was supposed to be, according to several brokers in New York. Why is that? I wonder why that is. Because, obviously, it's a storied building. It's, it's been there forever. And when they decided to convert it to condominiums, I mean, the buzz about that place and the sales were rapid. I don't understand why they just don't keep that price per square foot or that margin, uh, like the other buildings in the surrounding areas. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. I'm surprised as yeah, well. I Maybe that you out know, either. I don't know specifically for this, but in general, sometimes when you overprice something and the hype is too too large, it can backfire. So yeah. that may be a part of why. Yeah.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think the same thing, and I also think sometimes the location is just a little too busy, a little too touristy. Although I don't recall knowing of too many people who bought there as primary residence. I mm-hmm. think a lot of people mm-hmm. who bought in that building were just pied-a-terres and, and you mostly know, empty, I would assume. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Also, yes. also, I don't know um, about the larger apartments. I'm sure there are beautiful apartments there. but The smaller apartments really just aren't that amazing in terms of layout um, and just not as functional. And so those layouts, I mean, compared to what they're building right now and all the other property options in that location, um, I think it's just become a relative uh, choice of wanting to go elsewhere.
1: Earl, how, how small are the smaller apartments there for our listening audience? I mean, I know, obviously there are lots of large apartments there, and I showed only once uh, in that building when they first were converting. And it was, I'd say it's a medium-sized apartment, but when you say small, how small are those apartments? Are they one-beds? and um,
4: or? I've shown two-bedroom apartments in that building, and it's the living area that was really small, because if you think about it, these were hotel rooms that got converted into condos and maybe I haven't seen, Mm -hmm. you know, some of the larger or better floor plates, but the few apartments that I've shown, um, it's, it was, it wasn't that the apartment itself was so small as much as it was that the entertainment spaces weren't, in my opinion, what I would want in my own home. Um, and at the price per square foot, I mean, this is, this was before some of these 3000 plus uh, you know, $3,000 square foot plus apartments, uh, were on the market, uh, when I had been in, in the plaza. Uh, but what I did see was that I, even back then, I looked at the layouts and I was like, mm, you know, I'm impressed given the price point at the way these layouts are. So it was a very specific thing that I personally, you know, found not, you know, just to be a little underwhelming.
1: Do any of you have any uh, feedback from clients when you have a client in that particular, you know, Uber luxury price point? And and when you mention the Plaza, does anybody say no? I'm not interested in that building, or yes, I'd like to see an apartment there. I have had one person say to me, "That's a couple of years back. No, I don't really want to live in that building, or no, I don't really have any interest in that building." And I tried to peel back the onion there and, and understand or figure out why. And the only thing I got back was. Well, it's just not in a great location and there are too many people roaming around. So that's why I said earlier, is it, is it too touristy? Is it too trendy? Is it too, I mean, it is the Plaza Hotel. And, and as Perul said, it was hotel rooms at one point, so they were put together. So some of the layouts are probably not as, you know, uh, nice or luxurious would, maybe.
4: In my opinion, but, I feel like the foreign buyers may look at it differently, but at least my wealthier clients um, who are domestic. Um, their point of view is, is it's too trendy, like not trendy, but it's like it's too much in the public eye, right? So if you want something that is genuine class um, in New York, the trend tends to be want, wanting it to be amazing, but not so pushed in the public eye. Um, you know, the, the ideology is sort of not to not be in the, in the the CNB scene is within a particular market segment, not In the general market segment, and I feel like the plaza is just such an iconic building that is sort of visible to everybody and anybody that that that's not where the uber wealthy want to go. Um, I think that the people who did buy in that building, it was from an investment point of view, but it wasn't from the point of view of like actually wanting to live at that address because it's a little, it's almost, it's a little too
1: exposed. All right, we have to take a break. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back.
0: Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. We're ready now. Visit Blue Realty Group.com. That's BLU Realtygroup.com. The internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco.
1: and Deborah Hoffman we are talking right now about China while i was gone the country seems to have blown up china's economic bubble burst taking a good deal of the global stock market down with it after a long period of unimpeded growth chinese markets have uh, started dropping precipitously as of last week the shanghai index has fallen more than 40% from its june peak the global markets have been responding in kind and last week the Dow Jones Industrial Average here plunged 1,000 points in the early hours of trading, ending the day that day at 588 points down, the worst uh, since August of 2011. Translation, if you've got a lot of your assets in mutual funds or stocks, last week was quite rough. So my question is, what does this mean for you out there as, as an investor here domestically, internationally, and the New York City real estate market? You know. What 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 does this represent for us as as agents here, wanting to represent people who might need to move money into this market for safety? And then I also just read an article end of day yesterday okay. that said we're going to see a lot of okay. China, a lot more Chinese investment coming up in the next several weeks. Yep. Parking. What 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 do you guys see out there, or what do you guys think is going to happen out there based on what just happened to the Chinese uh, economic uh, situation?
5: What- <laughs> that's a good question, Vince. I think a lot of people at the beginning thought that some of the volatility that you're seeing over in China would cease foreign buying from, from the Chinese. And I think um, there's, there's a program that, that just came out that's going to have the exact op- opposite effect where it's going to accelerate um, the pace in which the Chinese investors are going to be parking cash in you know America. Um, I think it, it's called the Qualified Domestic Individual Investor Program, it's an overseas investment scheme that would allow Chinese citizens to invest overseas directly. Um, those with at least 160,000 in financial assets qualify. So, if you look, if you think about that, 160,000 in financial assets—the amount of Chinese that have substantially more than that—is tremendous. So, when you look at that number, then there's going to be a, a lot of investment coming over to the, uh, to, the sit, to the to the to America or the city in general.
4: Yeah, actually, it's Point um, basically, it's the Chinese government that is encouraging foreign investment. So it's interesting to me as to why they're doing that. Uh, But that being said, um, given that there's a a government push and coupled with the fact that actually, um, if you just think about basic logic, if the stock market isn't performing well or is volatile, then it begs the question of where to put your money, where it's it's a better safe haven. And real estate then becomes actually a very primary choice of where the money people want to put their money, at, you know, as, as an alternative. So in, from both of these ends, um, both from the government push and um, change of regulation, and also just from an understanding of if the markets themselves are volatile then people are going to naturally want to put their money elsewhere, actually seems like oddly uh, the Chinese crisis is going to help and not hinder But, you know, as the months go by, we'll get to see what actually falls out of this. But it looks like it's going to strengthen foreign investment.
1: But let me ask another question here. So, um, obviously, the the Chinese bubble burst, and and we're we're seeing the ramifications of that. I get and I understand how they potentially want to invest in in economies like the U.S. where it's a little stronger. But in the news article, I said the Dow Jones plunged 1,000 points a couple of days after. So my question is, if... Buyers from China want to invest here in the U.S., I understand that, but but are they concerned also about the status of our economic situation here? Because, listen, I mean, locals, including ourselves, are always concerned because we all know that our real estate market kind of follows the trend of the, the Wall Street market here. And, you know, slowly over time, if Wall Street is down significantly, so go our real estate prices. So do you think the foreign buyer, the Chinese in this particular case, are concerned about that, or they're just really wanting to take their money now out of their country and put it here?
4: Well, I think first and foremost, if you look at what happened last week with the U.S. market, the markets went down but then bounced back right up. Um, and so at least from most you know, reliable sources, um, the conjecture, or at least the opinion, seems to be that um, that the markets simply, our our markets were simply being reactive to what was going on in Asia. Um, but the volatility was was more of a you know a scared reaction than it was an actual dip of of something that was an economic driver for us. So the fact that the markets bounced right back shows a certain level of strength and how we are ultimately not as affected by what's going on internationally at this moment. That being said, you know markets are volatile and things can go up or down. Um, there just aren't, don't seem to be any market drivers at the moment that seem to be driving the U.S. markets down. So for now, I think that the fear factor is, is on the lower end.
1: What do you think about competition? Um, so the Chinese are on a move, so to speak, to get their money parked here in, in New York real estate. Obviously a very good uh, uh, move for them. What about the Russians? Do you think the people will start getting competitive? Well, if the Chinese are running here and parking their money, and I want to be on that line too because I want to make sure that there's inventory or product for me to buy as well. The Brazilians, the Russians, the Italians, I mean anybody other than the Chinese. you think it's going to spark any kind of movement in uh, other econ- economies?
3: I don't think no, so. Oh. No, no. no. Because all okay. these economies are different and Russia only has so many oligarchs. You know, it's not as if it's a very wealthy country. It really isn't. Remember that it was very recently what 20 years ago, 30 years ago that they just came out of communism. Mm-hmm. So they have a limited amount of people that have money to invest here. We look down at Brazil and some of these other places. Yes, there are people, but it didn't have the economic bounce that we hoped it would even five, ten years ago. So I don't know if they're looking at competition. I think everyone's being a little selfish at this point and seeing what works best for me. Yes, I could put it in the States, but I don't think they're really looking at China or anyone else. But again... I have nothing to base that on except what I see in the market. And
1: there's still mm-hmm. a lot of unrest yeah. in the Ukraine, so a lot of the, yeah. that. Russia. with the election year coming, coming up, yet.
2: also mm-hmm. it's going to be an interesting Q4 mm-hmm. and next year for sure. Yeah,
1: here absolutely. Oh, yeah, <clears throat> that always affects the marketplace. Um, all right, so all spare in. No, l-
4: that was funny. <laughs> As in. I don't even know what's going on with this election, so this is going to be an interesting Q4 indeed. I just thought it was very
2: understated the way you said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even touching it. Uh, that's just to mention
3: parole. This is a real estate that's show. That's right. <laughs>
1: no, listen, I, I, I agree. Just like on social media, I don't get religious and I don't get political, oh, but right. it's going to be a very interesting year because, you know, they started so soon. I mean, we're still more than a year away from an election, but
3: Sloan anyway, easier. I'm sure
1: we'll have a couple of fun tidbits going, going through this next year. But anyway, moving on, all's fair in love and war as the saying goes, but does the same ring true for love and real estate? When a couple is looking for the perfect apartment, whether they are renting or buying, tempers flare, blood pressure rises, and the cool, calm, and collected partner you once knew becomes (laughs) more red-faced than a quarrelsome (laughs) Donald Trump. These maniacal (laughs) meltdowns are more common than you'd think as a very seasoned real estate broker. She says, a lot of times, couples bicker in front of you. I'm always really surprised that couples who seem to get along beautifully will put their fight on public display. So is this indicative of relationships on the rocks, or is it just simply a difference of opinion that gets out of control? And I think we probably have a lot of commentary on this. Mm-hmm. I, for one, have seen lots of that. What do you do? What do you do when, when couples start fighting, and how do you... How do you sell to one versus the other, or how do you kind of get them? I think you know. I I have found myself playing doctor, psychologist, and trying to get both of them onto the same page. I enjoy which is it. Not easy.
2: I actually enjoy it because I'm a psych major, and okay. it's like in my blood. And I know you guys are laughing, but like I truly, truly enjoy it. It takes a lot more work and time. But it's it's really interesting, and, and I've had the worst of the worst. I've had divorced couples all the way to couples madly in love, and there's really no formula. You just never know how somebody's going to be either um, skeptical about spending so much money up front, no matter how much they love the apartment, they're a little scared, they may lose their job, they're thinking about a baby, we need two bedroom. I mean, it just, we can talk about this forever. It's so interesting. And then taking ego out of it, and I win and you win, and let's compromise on everything. So maybe we do two bathrooms and cut down on the amenities so
1: I just love it. But question to you guys out there. So where, you know, where do the fights or or the the disagreements I'd rather say um occur? Is mm-hmm. it over neighborhoods? Is it over a style of apartment? Is it new versus old? Is it condo versus co-op? Is it room count? I mean, what really is, you know, the <laughs> the difference here because, you know, you can take for example, you watch House Hunters on HGTV mm-hmm. and and you know, they'll always set up some conflict. Well, the wife likes craftsman style and the, and the husband likes mid-century modern. So, you know, they're going to go out and see six different homes and mm-hmm. hopefully they're going to end up with something that's a cross between, mm-hmm. you know, the two types of homes. But what is that? What is the difference really here in Manhattan with with couples? I mean, because everybody has different tastes. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are really some of the things they, they quarrel about?
3: I rarely have this because when I start working with someone – we're living in the 21st century. We talked about social media a few minutes ago, is when they're able to see things online that you send them, and especially where we have such good quality photographs and floor plans. Not all the time. Not all the That's time. That's true. But I, I'm, I'm thinking about our companies that we're, sit- where we're sitting right <laughs> mm-hmm. here. We do have these. Um, they tend to do their fighting beforehand. So by the time they get to me, they're either saying, we well, you know, we kind of like this, but no. Mm. But we really like this one Can we see more like this. So I, I have never in so many years seen a lot of fighting unless. Well, we don't normally do see me? the fighting, mm-hmm. Deb. Yeah. Ah.
2: Oh, it so, sounds like
3: maybe in front of. Oh, I. So okay, it comes out
2: very subtly. Uh-huh. So you'll see sort Agreed. of. Right? Plural. So you'll see it yeah, on emails absolutely. and then you'll actually,
4: see. I'm, I'm so with Rachel on this. It's, um, you know, I find it to be fascinating to just watch human behavior. And mm. actually, it's, it's wonderful and humbling and also exciting to be put in the position to then be able to sort of help the difficult moments and the difficult decisions. Um, And you're so right. Like sometimes it's just ego that's getting in the way. And then there's a way of sort of helping them work through that. And sometimes it's a genuine difference in taste. But in my experience, I would say that what I've found is generally in every couple, there's one person who is more of the decision maker um who sort of wears the pants in the relationship, if you will, and another person who's a little more of a conformist and really isn't, you know, will have an opinion, but at the end of the day, doesn't care all that much or cares about something that is a little strip of something versus the whole entire picture. So they might want something that, like, 10% of the apartment or some one specific feature that they're really loving or stuck on but then the other person is sort of the one who tends to be the driver. And and I think that that's actually what makes the relationship work, you know? Um, But in those scenarios, it's about recognizing who's going to ultimately make the call and who's going to be the defending party, and then making sure that the person who's sort of giving in is also happy. So, you know, it really, it can be, as far as Vince, to answer your question of what creates the disagreement. It can be just about anything and everything, um, depending on the couple. But the fact of the matter is it just sort of comes down to who's the decision maker and how to sort of find a creative solution to make the other person happy as well. And usually there is one because the two people do have common ground, which is why they're together to begin with.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. It always comes down to um a happy medium I, can, I think and you know a compromise. I saw a lot of it in new development when I was selling mm. because you get to see so many couples and 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 people in general coming through. So, you know, your experiences are exaggerated because of the sheer numbers of people that come through to see these apartments and buildings and I always remember, you know, that one would like this and the other would like that. And it sometimes came down to you know a one bedroom versus a two bedroom, so there's economics involved. So I think Perul, you're right there. You know they you they come together as a couple for a reason, so there's obviously strength and commitment there. But uh, there are differences of opinions, and then you know if they're smart enough, and I've seen you know couples work these things out, and it works. So
2: it, it also depends, Vince, on what they're looking at. So you have couples <clears> that. Uh, if they're looking for a condo, two or three bedroom, there's about five options. The less options you have, the easier Mm -hmm. it is. And so you're going to find that it's easier to make that decision together. My uh, clients who are couples in Brooklyn looking for a studio, one bedroom, that's where it's going to get a little harder because then it's not really what they want. Mm -hmm. And then they're disappointed and they're managing their expectations. And it's a lot of education So it really depends on less options is easier. More options, it gets a little tricky.
1: Absolutely. All right, we're going to go to break. We will be right back after these messages. Don't go away.
0: Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit blue-realtygroup.com. That's b l u realtygroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at Group.com. Now, back to the show. We're back for our third segment, and I was just saying to My
1: panelists here in the studio, I feel so sleepy this morning and like I'm not on my game. However, I will get there as the day goes on. I have so much going on today. First day back. Anyway, we're here with the full panel, Farul Brombat, Niall Lundgren, Rachel Altshuler, and Deborah Hoffman, and we're talking about some uh, topics here in real estate. I I have a question. So, A buyer recently received an offer letter for a job with an $80,000 a year salary, not bad for a first job, but... He graduated, uh, but he just graduated from school and doesn't have established credit, any kind of work history, or anyone who can guarantee him uh, on his lease. So what are this person's options? What are the options for this renter who has a great salary but may not qualify for the multiplier you know, in the rentals, mm-hmm. uh, in the rental market, and doesn't have any kind of established credit because he's really just graduated school and never really established credit. So what are the options? And it's a good time of the year to talk about this stuff because, mm-hmm. as Deborah said at the top of the show today, the, the rental market is still strong and still going on for another month or two. Uh, mm-hmm. What does he do? What does he do?
2: There's a few things that, this scenario, I mean, I see this all the time. I mean, basically, you're looking at rentals under 2000 because right. to qualify, you have to make 40 times the monthly rent. So at 80000 a year, all, already you know what your budget is. So that's helpful. Then you have to sort of focus the search on landlords and owners that are not strict with credit. And there are, there are landlords that mm-hmm. aren't as tough, but they're rare, and it's very hard. So you can either use insurance which is a third-party company, <clears throat> um, or you just have to make a lot of phone calls. And that, rental brokers, uh, you know, if they're strictly rental brokers, they know quickly who to call. But for sale brokers, it's a little harder because you have to do more research. Um, so I specifically have some rent-stabilized apartments um, in, up in Harlem, and they're super cheap. They're below market, but the owners are really strict with credit. And so I get, nine times out of ten, I get... Great salaries, but their credit is under six hundred or under six fifty and yeah. that won't work for these owners. They're very, very strict. So it's very, very difficult in this city to rent, period. And if you don't have the option of having a guarantor, your hands are tied.
5: Well I think I think what you mentioned about insurance, you know, to mm-hmm. elaborate on that. Insurance, like you said, is a third party that will come in and guarantee the lease as a as a cor- corporate guarantor. It, mm-hmm. But you have to pay a fee for that. Correct. So you know if your credit's not good, and because you, simply because you don't have established credit, but you make the money, you know you're kind of you know stuck between a rock and a hard place because you're going to have to have a lot of cash um, on hand because insurance is not cheap. A lot of times it's one month rent, and depending on how little or no credit you have. It can be even more expensive than that. I've done a number of deals using insurance. So when you're stuck with that kind of situation, I know some folks want to live by themselves, but another option, especially if you can't find a guarantor, um, is to find a roommate and, and that's what you see a lot of a lot of these the, the young college graduates doing is finding share apartments because it's likely if you have a roommate, you know they might have good credit, and if they don't, it's likely that they might have a, a guarantor who's happy to, you know, co-sign the lease for, you know, their son or daughter who just graduated from, from college. So, you know, leveraging social media and in, in, in getting out there and speaking to, you know, friends on Facebook and saying, hey, you move into the city and, you know, kind of just coordinating on that aspect, you know, might be uh, another viable alternative than, you know, plunking down extra cash um, by using insurance or, you know, prepaying months up front. So those are some of the, co- the couple of the other options that are out there.
1: And as we say all the time on this program, rentals are more difficult than sales in some cases or the qualification to get into a rental, so much more difficult in this city of New York compared to other places around the country. So on the heels of that, New York City may be a city of renters, but many wouldn't mind settling down roots and becoming an owner. Doing the math, buying an apartment wouldn't necessarily mean higher monthly costs. Remember, the rent is so damn high in this town after all, and there would be some major tax benefits to buying anyway. But there's one hurdle for first-time buyers. That's the down payment. How do first-time buyers come up with a significant amount of cash for this? And after also having to have a certain amount of liquidity uh, after closing on the balance sheet. That's if you're buying a co-op, It's certainly even in some condos. So dilemma. I'm, I'm a first-time buyer. I'm, I'm still fairly young. I'm, I'm progressing in my job. I'm doing well but I don't necessarily have all of that upfront cash for down payment because in this town prices are high, therefore down payments are high, but then you're telling me I have to have a little bit of cash after closing in liquid um, funds to please the boards of these buildings. Who can buy in, these, in, the, in this town unless you are really a second-time buyer or you know uh, somebody who's God. got lots of money? <laughs> yeah. Not really. <laughs> What do people do? This is a significant, you know, situation well, here.
3: I have a lot of clients that are actually either friends' children or just younger people in their thirties to early forties who have fantastic jobs. One mm. may be on the partner track in a law firm. The spouse may be a uh, a, heart spe- a cardiac heart specialist who's in his residency and they don't have the liquid assets to qualify. And I have had people with this scenario, at least one a year, who have to have parents guarantee them. And they are shocked beyond belief. We have the down payment. Well, we have enough to carry everything. Yeah, you do. But the buildings you want to be in or the neighborhood you want to be in, especially if you're buying a co-op, you have to show a lot of liquid assets. and People get very upset over this. But if we think about it, In the global sense, remember the economic downturn. And Manhattan was saved from that. Manhattan only had a, at the maximum, 2.7% foreclosure rate, which was mostly buildings and condominiums because the co-ops were so strict with the liquid assets afterwards. They also didn't allow certain kinds of mortgages. Mm. So it's upsetting, it's scary, it's a real reality check, especially if... You're on the partner track at a law firm, and it's a safer investment. Is what you're saying? It's a much. It is, but even the condominiums, ever since the downturn, many of them are taking their time, issuing a right of first refusal, and really looking at people's finances. You can't just come in and plunk down a few thousand dollars and I've got it.
1: Well, you know, I said at the start of the program yeah. here that I had a pretty good August deal-wise, you know, four mm-hmm. deals while I was gone, so that's not so bad. But we also had some trouble with a with an applicant who got a board turned down uh while we were, you know, out and 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 having fun. I'm reading this email and the the it turns out that <clears throat> our first-time buyer and we're talking about a studio buyer uh in the $400,000 range didn't have enough I the board says he didn't have enough money. Overall, that was the comment back. So we're thinking, all right, what does this mean? Let's peel back the onion. And you know, you never really get a, a solid response back from boards anyway. This was a co-op uh, in the East 30s. So I mean, it's not Park Avenue. Uh, and all we can get back a second response was, uh, if he wants to continue to go through with this purchase, he needs to have someone co-purchase with him. So we think that there was not enough money. After closing, I mean, I thought he had enough, but again, you know, if they won't give you what they're looking for or give you a ratio or give you anything, his DTI, debt to income ratio, was perfect. So I think that they just wanted him to have a little more money in the bank after closing. And he had, he, perfect example, had plenty of money as down payment, didn't have to borrow anything. It was a situation where Oh well, look what goes on. So he opted to not go with a purchaser, a, a co-purchaser, and he opted to take the board turn down. And I just saw an email last night saying, you know, through his attorney, that he was requesting his uh, deposit back mm-hmm. and the contract, mm. you know, being null and void, mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. Now it's interesting. I haven't had a board turned down in many years, but look, it is what it is. The boards today in this town are getting especially more difficult to deal with. And over silly things sometimes, you know, they will turn someone down. And again, you know, having not having enough money isn't a silly thing, but I mean, in my case, I thought he had plenty of it's a studio, it's four hundred thousand dollars. I mean, we're not buying a two million dollar apartment. Anyway, before we go to break, I want to talk about one last topic. This is very important because I'm also potentially up against this. As New York nervously prepares itself for the possibility of another superstorm like Sandy, residents of waterfront neighborhoods have already been hit with The rising flood insurance rates as well as costly upgrades to help stormproof their homes. As FEMA I'm sorry, as FEMA's new expanded flood zone map heads towards the appro- approval process, 400,000 more New Yorkers can find themselves suddenly located in a potential danger zone facing lowered property values and skyrocketing monthly insurance costs. Um, this is, is very important. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, and city officials are none too thrilled about the last part. Look, there are many first floor apartments in this town that are luxurious, that are desirable, but happen to be now going to be designated in flood zone areas. I represent a building that we have several. So my question to everybody is, has this already started to affect the New York marketplace? And if so, How?
3: I haven't seen it, but I've been doing a lot of thinking about this because there are a number of neighborhoods that are designated flood zones, and these neighborhoods will probably never flood. They didn't flood in Sandy, but FEMA's being extra cautious, as government agencies tend to be, which is a good thing, but I think what may happen, and again, this is a guess just knowing New York real estate, is I don't know if it'll affect prices, but it may affect monthly costs, whereas buildings will have to either build walls around their econom their um, uh, heating and air conditioning systems, which most of the times are in the basement, or spend the money to relocate them to a higher floor, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And the monthly costs, many places may start going up, which will affect the price. Exactly, so yep. people so people will probably start looking in other neighborhoods. So well, the, I the, wonder.
1: The flood zone maps have been out for, for a very long time in mm-hmm. certain areas of New York, but post Sandy, which is a few years ago already, they're they're broadening that map to include areas in, in this one building that I'm thinking about all, all the way to 10th Avenue. So, mm-hmm. you know, will the river flow over to 10th Avenue? I doubt it, but it is a first floor apartment. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, you really don't know what may happen. I'm concerned for first floor um you know dwellers because their insurance rates are going to go extremely high mm-hmm. for that kind of insurance and I think it's going to affect property values. I think mm-hmm. I don't know that it's going to cut it in half. Just imagine an attorney doing due diligence and and checking flood zone maps which we know they do and looking at addresses mm-hmm. and looking at this or that and saying to a buyer, really, you want to buy a first floor apartment? It's an
2: interesting question yeah. because first floor apartments are all already priced below market. Yes. So, mm-hmm. you know, Forgetting about the flood factor, we already have first floor apartments trading for, I would say, 3 to 5% below market. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll be interesting, but I do think it'll affect it a, a little bit. All
1: right, we're yeah. going to go to break, and when we come back in our last segment, we're going to talk about success. Success as people, success as real estate agents, and just success in general. Don't go away.
0: Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at bluerealtygroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready. Now, visit blue-realtygroup.com. That's b l u realtygroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time, the number 1 internet talk station where your opinion counts. Voiceamerica.com. <laughs> You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at BLURealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody,
1: we are back in our last segment, and I wanted to spend the, the next uh, 10 or 12 minutes talking about success. I wrote something many years ago, and I was trying to remember how many years ago when I found this uh, just last week, and I posted it on Facebook. It's something I wrote in my early 30s so that we're talking about a long time ago. Natural talent, intelligence, a wonderful education, a great smile, none of these guarantee success. Something else is needed. The sensitivity to understand what other people want and the willingness to give it to them. Worldly success depends on pleasing others. No one is going to win fame, fortune, recognition, career advancement, or personal self-happiness just because he or she thinks they deserve it. Someone else has to think so too. Remember, how much we enjoy what we have is more important than how much we actually do have. Life is full of people who have more than they know what to do with, but cannot be content on any level. It is the capacity to enjoy life as it is that brings contentment. Finally, and I love this last line, finally, most of us will never do great things, but we can do small things in a great way. Most of us will never do great things, but we can do small things in a great way. You know, I don't remember, honestly, I don't remember why I wrote this. I don't remember what was going on at the time. It was work-related, I think, probably, well, when I read this again, I know, just last week, for the first time in many, many years, I thought, "Wow, this still rings true today." And you know, some of the concerns I have today with people, you know climbing that corporate ladder or trying to get to the next level in their careers, they don't necessarily understand uh, that it's not only about how perfect and, and wonderful you are, but it's really always about making that next person feel just as wonderful. Success breeds success. So, you know, do you guys have any comments on this? So in in your world, in your life, what makes a person successful? I mean, what you can, I mean, even in in our business, we we see hard workers, we see lots of things. Go ahead, Pearl.
4: First of all, I just want to say your words are so inspiring. Like those words are so truly inspiring and, and they couldn't be more accurate, you know? So I just want to say thank you for sharing that.
1: Well, thank you. I, I again, I wish I could remember why I wrote this many years ago, but you know when I, I read it over and over a couple of days, you know, last week, and then I finally posted it on Facebook, and I got a, a lot of wonderful comments, just as you just said. But I just, you know, it, the the one of the lines that gets me is worldly success, you know, depends on pleasing others. Why is that important? Why is it, it you know, this this says to me it's not only about you; it's about others and and others in your path. Of empathy. Success.
2: I mean. What you find in a successful broker is uh, so many things. One of them being taking the time to listen to your clients. And you'll find that the brokers that are not successful or are following the money, which is not the way to build your business, they don't have empathy. And if they're frustrated with a client, they just you know roll their eyes, they want to get off the phone, just do the deal. They do not have empathy about how frustrating and emotional, and taxing it is on clients. This is a very emotional experience, and so I do think empathy is is in the top three for sure.
4: Yeah, I mean, Rachel and I seem to share a brain, so we do share uh, a brain, <laughs> <laughs> we really do. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And in fact, you know, empathy is um, is considered to be the single most important. Um, character trait in relationships and successful relationships in general, personal ones as well, not just business. It's also now, um, I just was reading a study on children and what shows, um, the, you know, children who are going to be most successful, most popular, um, most connected, um, throughout their childhood and and in life. And the, the single most factor that comes into play over and over again is empathy. um, and, you know, Vince, to answer sort of, you know, why is that important, I think it's just because if you think about it, what what ultimately drives every person is is wanting to be loved and to feel safe, right? I mean, we think right. that it's money and it's success and it's recognition and all of these things, but ultimately it comes down to happiness. And then I believe happiness comes, you know, initially people think it's because they want to get loved and to feel safe. Once those things are fulfilled, I think the next level of understanding goes to what people really, really want and what is fulfilling is growth and contribution. And um, it's the meaningfulness that comes from those two things that actually drive human happiness, you know? And so really as a broker, you know, when you know how to fulfill the basic needs of letting somebody feel, quote unquote, loved, a.k.a heard, understood, and also you build the trust of, of weird, I don't worry, I'm going to take care of you and really be there for you, and I genuinely care. Those two things, which basically translate to empathy, is what's going to make them come and want to work with you. And then if you are driven yourself to, to provide, you know, be somebody who's growth-driven and constantly bettering yourself and you're contributing value to somebody else's life, and that's ultimately gonna be the formula of success.
2: I also think it's so, in a very important note to say you said small things in a great way, Vince. Uh-huh. Beautifully said. Yeah. And that comes back to it's all in the details. <clears throat> yeah. And that is another important important point. In our it's business. All so, in the details. The follow up. Yes. The making sure you spell someone's name correctly, get yeah. the date correctly on a lease. On a contract, it's all in the details that's what makes a great broker, yeah,
1: and I also think that people reach for the stars I mean I you know there's a lot of young first time people out of schools and wanting to jump into companies and I want to come in at the CEO level and I want to come in at the CFO level and I want to be a manager mm-hmm. and I don't want to do this or that. I don't want to climb the corporate ladder. Yeah. But you know what? You need to do that. And you can't be so entitled to think that you can have these things mm-hmm. at the start of your career. You know, you learn and you grow and you get much wiser as mm-hmm. you get older and so, you know, you can do small things in a great way in the very beginning of your career or all throughout your life and maybe you will become a great person, you know, a president or a movie star or a musician or whatever if that's in your future, if that's in your cards, but all along the way, I I think that doing little things as best as you can and in a great way.
2: That's a special shout out to the brokers out there who don't like doing board
1: packages. Or anything.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know who you are. Do the board packages and do them right. That's right. But it's not just (laughs) brokers because I've been through a lot of different professions in my life and have friends in different professions Mm -hmm. and everyone will tell you whether it be In real estate school or law school or medical school or anything, you don't learn anything until you're on the job. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is experience, and a lot of it is not brushing off the more experienced person in your profession and saying, no, 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 I know this better because I was straight A's at Yale. Maybe, maybe. But sometimes, and I think really most of the time, there's a lot of life experience you have to learn. Well, on-the-job training is always,
1: in my opinion, mm-hmm. a lot more valuable than, than any book you could read on a subject. But also, how about personal success? I think that mm-hmm. when you look good and you're tan and you're thinner than whatever and you feel mm-hmm. good about yourself, mm-hmm. you feel a lot more successful. Mm-hmm. So if you do things that please other people in your day-to-day life and you, you, you know put yourself out there for everybody – it makes you feel better mm-hmm. about yourself. Mm-hmm. It makes you feel more successful about your day. If you go around the office with a smile on your face, I don't care what job you have or do, mm-hmm. but you go around the office with a smile on your face, and of course we all have our moments, but you know, I know I feel better about myself yeah. as a person. I feel more successful as a person. So when a deal happens, you say, okay, great. That just adds to another good thing that happened for the day. Yeah. But it's so important, I think, for everybody in in this life that you know, I, I always say you know, on this program that I like to give back and how do you give back and sometimes you don't know what you're giving back but if you give yourself back each and every time when you wake up in the morning and you walk out the door, that to me is success. It, you don't have to quantify it by saying I have a bigger yeah. house than you or I have a better car than you or I have this or that. Who cares about that stuff? It that, that doesn't matter. The little things that you have or what make you the person that you are, and if you appreciate those mm-hmm. things, and guess what, you're going to be a better liked person too. And I don't mean to pontificate, but you know, at the end of the day, I think success is really the most important thing in anybody's life, way above and beyond, um, you know, anything else that we get involved in. So again these are words that I wrote many years ago so I'd like to be able to post these on every person's head when they first come into great business great way to say, start the
3: fall I like. yeah Listen, I yeah. do yeah. too very inspiring I do too
1: well we have one it. minute left so I just wanted to wish everybody you know a great start to the fall season I mean we are September 1st already I cannot believe that I love fall I love fall too my favorite too. season in- if I remember Me correctly too. didn't we have a good spring mm-hmm. so yeah we did we had a good spring we had a pretty mm-hmm. decent summer so I'm hoping that this is one year that we get at least three seasons of great weather mm-hmm. uh, because I have a feeling that we're going to have a wacky and crazy um, winter, and that's not going to be a good. Oh thing. no!
3: So anyway, that,
1: I know, I know, I don't want to hear it. But I think we're going to. I think so. Anyway, we'll talk about that more as we get closer to it. That is Good Morning New York for this week. We do have to go. We're back next Tuesday morning, nine a.m. Eastern, six a.m. Pacific time. Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website voiceamerica.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.
0: Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco, next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.